Heavenly Father, we do thank you for, we thank you so much that your word does reflect the, the complexity, the murkiness of humanity. And we read these chapters, we read these verses, and they throw up all sorts of questions. They make us cringe, they make us feel uncomfortable. And yet, in some ways, they are just a mirror being held up to our own condition. We pray that you would speak to us this morning. We pray that we would be able to hear from you by your Spirit. That you would help us to discern how you want us to change in the light of these words. In Jesus' name, amen. Now it feels um, as though at the moment there's, there's almost a movement in our culture that tries to divide people into j- just two groups. You're, you're either wholly a goodie or, or you're really ho- wholly a, a baddie. Uh, you're either on, on the right side of history or you're on the wrong side of history. Uh, you're, you're either a, a victim or you are a victimizer. You're either oppressed or you are an oppressor. And, and the job of culture or, or society is to try and shut down those on the wrong side of that list. But of course, if you've lived for any amount of time, then you know that the reality is so much more complicated than that, isn't it? The truth is that we ourselves will find ourselves on both sides of that list. Sometimes we're the goodies, sometimes we're the baddies, and sometimes we are both at once. Sometimes we are victims, sometimes we are oppressors, and sometimes we are both at once. And that is why I find the Bible, as I was praying just a moment ago, so so compelling, so believable, because it shows us how we really are. The murkiness and messiness of the human condition. In this part of Genesis, think about if you've been following us with us, think back, in this part of Genesis, we've seen men take advantage of other men. We've seen men take advantage of women. But we've also seen women take advantage of men, often the same men who took advantage of them, and women take advantage of other women. It feels as though every victim is also a victimizer. Everyone who is oppressed, in this story at least, also seems to end up as an oppressor as well. The Bible tells us that life is so much more complicated than it's sometimes presented to us. And how does God respond? How does he react to this incredibly dysfunctional group of people? Now, I think our culture would have cancelled this family by now. At least they would have cancelled Jacob. But God doesn't do that. He shows grace and patience and mercy. He sees the complexity of the human condition and and through the mess and, and through the cruelty and through the weak faith, he brings about the salvation of the world. If you know anything of the story of the Bible, then you, you know that these 12 children that are born here become the nation of Israel. And, and through these children, through that nation, salvation itself will come to the world. And so as we focus on these verses, we need to be grateful that our God is like this and, and not like us. That in his wisdom and kindness, he can bring about the salvation of the world, even through a people as dysfunctional as this people. We we need that in mind. Praise the Lord, he's not like us. But we also want to see how on earth do we live in a world like this? How do we navigate a world like this? 
we're going to see two things. First of all, joy comes through God's kindness. Joy comes through God's kindness. So remember where we're at. Jacob's fallen in love with Rachel, but before he married her, uh, his father-in-law tricked him. And Jacob ended up marrying Rachel's sister, uh, Leah, and has Leah as a wife, and then he marries Rachel. So Jacob ends up with two wives. Now, this isn't good. There's no indication at all that the Bible is saying this is a good thing to have two wives. In fact, you read, you just heard it read. You, You see that it's not a good thing. It's a terrible idea. In the verse just before uh, the, the one that we read, verse 30, we read, Jacob made love to Rachel, and his love for Rachel was greater than his love for Leah. See, Leah ends up married to a man who didn't want to marry her. And Jacob makes that clear. His love for Rachel was greater than his love for Leah. It's, it's a really devastating thing to read, isn't it? To be a wife in a loveless marriage. To long for the affection of your husband, but to experience instead his disdain, his indifference. That is desperately sad. Sadder, perhaps, is that I imagine some of you in this room know something of what that is like. You long for the affection of your husband or or, or your wife. You long for them to cherish you in their hearts, but you know that they don't. And that they're indifferent to you. I just think these stories give us lots of opportunities to stop and and, and address things going on in our own lives. And I just want to say, husbands and wives, you, when you got married, you promised to love each other. You promised to give each other everything that you had, including your heart. You must fulfill those promises. And if you do find yourself in this marriage, please, please reach out for help. Jacob may be indifferent and loveless towards Leah, but the Lord is not, verse 31. When the Lord saw that Leah was not loved, he enabled her to conceive. Do you see how beautiful the character of God is? The Lord who is upholding the universe, who is aware of all events and all people, what is it that catches his eye? What draws his heart? The mistreatment of one young woman in a loveless marriage. He's drawn towards Leah, and so he opens her womb, and she conceives. And now to start with, Leah, understandably, is is delighted, but, but notice why she is delighted. Verse 32, Leah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She named him Reuben, for she said, It is because the Lord has seen my misery, surely my husband will love me now. See what Leah's thinking? Now that I've had a child, now my husband will love me. Now he will notice me. Now I'll experience his affection. And that thought is still on her mind when the next son comes along. In verse 33, she conceived again, and when she gave birth to a son, she said, because the Lord heard that I am not loved, he gave me this one too. This second son, surely he will cure my husband's lovelessness towards me. That's what she's thinking. But it's not working. Jacob's heart is still cold. And she gives birth again. And notice now the desperation in her voice. Verse 34. Again she conceived. And when she gave birth to his son, she said, Now at last my husband will become attached to me. Because I've borne him three sons. 
Now at last, now this time, surely three sons will do it. Surely Jacob will honor me as he should. It's painful, isn't it, to read this? Leah, the thing that she wants, her her husband's love and affection, it is good, it is right that she wants that. She is entitled to her husband's love, and yet this desire inside her is going to damage her and damage others. Because this desire to be loved by Jacob is controlling her. Nothing is more important for her. And it's not only damaging Leah, it's damaging her children. They end up as just tools, as pieces in a game in order to manipulate Jacob into loving Leah. She doesn't want them for their own sake. I understand, Leah, of course we do. We understand where this deep desire is coming from. But if she carries on like this, it will damage her and it will damage her family. So then comes this brief moment when Leah chooses a different path. Because look what she says after child number four comes along in verse 35. She conceived again, and when she gave birth to a son, she said, this time, at last, same expression as before, this time what? This time, oh, Jacob, now he's going to love me. Four boys. No, this time I will praise the Lord. So she named him Judah. This time, Leah looks away from Jacob and instead she looks to the Lord and sees his love for her, his affection for her. Leah looks at her circumstances differently. Rather than being controlled by her desire for Jacob's love, she sees the goodness and beauty and kindness of God, the one who has given her four children and says, now this time I will praise him, the Lord. That choice to see what she has been given by the Lord rather than what she hasn't been given by Jacob, that choice to focus on the Lord's kindness rather than Jacob's harshness, it is a powerful choice, isn't it? It is a liberating choice. It means that even in those sad circumstances of a loveless marriage, she can find joy. It means even though she wants her husband's affection, she is no longer controlled by that desire. She can smile. She can rejoice. She can feel at peace, even in the worst of circumstances, because her eyes have now turned towards God and his kindness. One of the most powerful images for me so far that's come out of this war in Ukraine is of a Ukrainian family in their kitchen, singing the song that we just sang, He Will Hold Me Fast. That There's a dad, or I think probably he's a bit older, maybe a granddad, uh, he's leading it. And his wife, and some very young children, and a mum. And at one point, the guy leading the singing smiles. There's joy in his heart. And the young granddaughter, she is there with almost tears in her eyes, singing this song. And You kind of think, how? Your your country is being invaded. Your freedoms are on the line. Your life is on the line. Your children may well be killed in the fighting or wounded or suffer because of this occupation. And yet they gather, they sing, they rejoice. How? Because they did what Leah did. 
They chose to see the kindness of God even in the midst of the tragedy of war. He will hold me fast. They see Jesus Christ, risen and ascended and Lord of all. They see Jesus, their Savior, the one who's forgiven them their sins and brought them into his eternal kingdom. They see the Spirit at work in their lives, making known to them the closeness of God. Like Lear, they choose not to see the terror of Russia and be controlled by that terror, but instead the kindness of God. He will hold me fast. This time, I will praise the Lord. It's not an easy thing to do, is it? And we're not saying our circumstances don't matter. We're not saying it wasn't wrong the way Leah was being treated. But to look upon the Lord's kindness, to rejoice in that kindness, whatever situation we are in, is not only the right thing to do, it is powerful and it is liberating. It's interesting to spot what we're told right at the end of verse 35. Then Leah stopped having children. Now, it could be because Jacob stopped sleeping with her. It could be because the Lord closed her womb. It could be either of those things. But I wonder, is it because she no longer needed the children? Because she no longer needed the affection of Jacob. She wanted it, but she no longer needed it. I won't be controlled by bitterness, by vengeance, by fear. My heart will rejoice in the Lord. Leah finds this poise, this state. She finds joy in the Lord's kindness. But sadly, it is only of a moment. It doesn't last. Because what we're going to see in our second point, yes, joy comes through the kindness of God, but discontentment comes through human striving. Now, there is a lot of discontentment in this family. First, Leah starts off discontent. Rachel has what Leah wants, the, the affection, the love of Jacob. But then Rachel is discontent because Leah has got what Rachel wants, children. And Rachel is childless. And just as Leah was controlled by her desire for Jacob's affection and love, so Rachel is controlled by her desire for children. Look at verse 1 of chapter 30. When Rachel saw that she wasn't bearing Jacob any children, she became jealous of her sister. She said to Jacob, give me children or I will die. You can hear the desperation, the understandable desperation in her voice. It's a right desire, isn't it? To be a mother. But as with Leah, it's become a controlling desire. Without children, she thinks life isn't worth living. And who does she appeal to? It's to Jacob that she says, give me children or I'll die. And look at Jacob's reply, verse 2. Jacob became angry with her and said, am I in the place of God who has kept you from having children? His reply is theologically accurate, but it is lacking any kind of compassion or kindness. You know, Rachel, of course, shouldn't be appealing to him. She should be appealing to the Lord. It's the Lord who opens and uh, and closes wombs. That's what we've seen in this story. Yes, his reply is technically and theologically accurate, but relationally disastrous. I I don't know if this is just a man thing, but it feels like this potentially is more of a, a male thing than a female thing. 
that we like to be right, even if we crush the person in the process. Jacob's wife is falling apart right now. She doesn't need a theological treatise. She needs her husband to weep with her and to pray with her. Do you remember the previous generation, Isaac and Rebecca? She couldn't have children. What did Isaac do when he found out? He prayed with her for 20 years. No, Jacob's not doing this at all well. And I want to just stop here for a moment uh, to think about Jacob's role in this whole episode. He is remarkably absent. He is remarkably passive. Twelve children are born to him, and it's as if he has no real involvement at all. And you could think, well, is that trying to tell us something? Is it telling us that the real problem with this family, it's not Jacob, it's these two sisters jealously competing with each other. But the way that the sisters act is exactly the way Jacob acts. Jacob grasped and tricked and manipulated to get what he wanted. And in a moment, we're going to see that Leah and Rachel will grasp and trick and manipulate to get what they want. And so I think here's the true point. Jacob may be passive. He may even be absent, but he's still the the dominating influence on this family. As the husband, he sets the tone and the atmosphere. And we can't escape this idea in the Bible. When it comes to marriage, the Lord has given husbands and fathers the responsibility for the family. The Lord makes them the head over their family unit. And that means in marriages and in families, the husband and the father will have this stronger influence. And husbands and fathers, it's not a question of if we will shape our families, but how we will shape them. It's what kind of influence and shape we will be. The quote on the screen from a pastor in the States, he puts it like this, if the husband is godly, then that influence will not be harsh. It will be characterized by the same self-sacrificial love demonstrated by our Lord at the cross. But if a husband tries to run away from his headship, that abdication will also dominate the home. If he catches a plane to the other side of the country and stays there, he will dominate in and by his absence. How many children have grown up in a home dominated by the empty chair at the table? Husbands, let us make sure that our influence, our headship is not Jacob-like, but is Christ-like. Sacrificial, nurturing, protective, loving. So as the husband, for better or for worse, Jacob has this influence over the atmosphere and shape of his household. Leah and Rachel begin to act like Jacob. Let me show you that. Rachel is desperate for children. And rather than turning to the Lord, she attempts to manipulate the situation. She grasps for children. Verse 3, then she said, here is Bilhah, my servant, Sleep with her so that she can bear children for me and I too can build a family through her. This isn't okay. It's not okay for her to give her maid to Jacob, to use her in that way in order to get children. And sadly, Leah ends up doing the same. She had at that moment earlier, she had that, that sense earlier of being able to put her joy in the Lord's kindness 
But when she sees that Rachel, through Rachel's servant, is having children, those feelings of desperately wanting Jacob's affection rise up again in Leah, and she does the same. She copies Rachel, verse 9. When Leah saw that she had stopped having children, she took her servant Zilpah and gave her to Jacob as a wife. Rachel and Leah are doing exactly what Jacob did, grasping and using any means possible to get what they want, not legitimate means. And it gets worse. Verse 14, these are some very odd verses. Here we go. During wheat harvest, Reuben went out into the fields and found some mandrake plants, which he brought to his mother Leah. Rachel said to Leah, please give me some of your son's mandrakes. This, this is odd, right? This is very odd. Mandrakes, uh, uh, reading up on this, they, they were thought to be some kind of aphrodisiac, something to kind of uh, encourage lovemaking and, and even encourage uh, children and, and, and increase your chances of having a baby. And, and so when Rachel sees that Reuben, Leah's son, ha- has got some mandrakes, she thinks, well, this is what I need. This is what's going to help me conceive. So she, she, she's scheming, she, she's grasping, she's using any means and, and not legitimate means possible to get what she wants. But then Leah schemes back, verse 15. Leah said to her, wasn't it enough that you took away my husband? Will you take my son's mandrakes too? Very well, Rachel said, Jacob can sleep with you tonight in return for your son's mandrakes. So when Jacob came in from the fields that evening, Leah went out to meet him. You must sleep with me, she said. I have hired you with my son's mandrakes. So he slept with her that night. There's no good way of reading this. Leah hires Jacob for a night. Her own husband, she pays to spend a night with him. This is incredibly messed up. You see the two sisters scheming with each other, trying to get what they want. And do you know what the real tragedy of all of this is? Well, first, there's the innocent victims, actually, isn't there? There's the maids, Bilhar and Zilpah, who are forced into sleeping with Jacob. And then there's also the innocent victims, the children. None of them wanted for their own sake. All of them are means to an end. Leah wants children so that she can get the affection of her husband. Rachel wants children so she can feel validated. That that, that is tragic enough. But you know what's even worse? It doesn't work. When humans scheme and grasp and manipulate to get the life that they want, not only does it leave a trail of devastation, it doesn't even work. See, what's the last thing that that we hear from Leah in this episode, verse 19? Leah conceived again and bore Jacob a sixth son. Then Leah said, God has presented me with a precious gift. This time, my husband will treat me with honor. She's still looking for this affection and still not finding it. She's had seven children and still she keeps saying, this time, my husband will honor me. Her scheming and grasping has still left her feeling empty. And as it does for Rachel, verse 19, the Lord graciously opens Rachel's womb. She has her own child and she's delighted. You think now that she's got what she wanted, she's got the desire of her heart. 
Surely this must give her that sense of of validation, that feeling of, of satisfaction that she's longing for. But listen to what she says in verse 23. Rachel became pregnant and gave birth to a son and said, God has taken away my disgrace. She named him Joseph and said, may the Lord add to me another son. She gets her son. She becomes a mother. And there's this sense of euphoria. God has taken away my disgrace. Rightly or wrongly, that's how she was feeling. But do you hear what she called him? Did you hear what she said? May the Lord add to me another one. It's not enough. Human striving and grasping, trying to get the life and meaning and hope in our own strength, trying to grasp for that that feeling of of blessing, to be accepted and validated and valued, where does it leave you? It leaves you empty and discontent. We do this in all sorts of ways, don't we? We strive and we strive. We try to engineer a life of blessing and happiness, a life of meaning and validation. We use whatever means we can. We use our children. We use our careers. We use our friends and our family. We use our money and science and whatever it might be. Thinking if I can just set up life the way I want it to be, if I can just control things and arrange things the way I want them, I'll be able to fulfill the deepest longings of my heart. But you can't. And not only that, we leave this trail of damage behind us. Damage to ourselves and others. Because we use and we manipulate others. We treat them as means and not as ends. As competitors rather than brothers or sisters or friends. So what can stop this destructive and and fruitless scheming and grasping that so dominates this family and so sadly dominates our own hearts is only the kindness of God. It is only the grace of God. It is only when we accept that life, a life where we truly feel validated and loved, a life of honor and glory, a goodness and deep satisfaction. It's only when we accept that that kind of life is a gift that we receive rather than a prize that we grasp for. Three times the Lord acts in this section. And it's not to rebuke, as he could have rightly done. Three times he acts, and each time is an act of grace. He gives another child. And hundreds of years later, the Lord brings another child. He gives another gift. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. You see, the remarkable thing is that God never canceled this dysfunctional family. Instead, he worked through them, through these children that the people of Israel are formed. And through Leah's son, Judah, hundreds of years later, God gives us another son, Jesus Christ. And think about this. Out of the most grasping and scheming and manipulative family in the Bible comes a son who never schemes against others, who never grasps for his own gain, who never manipulates or uses or mistreats those around him. Instead, Jesus allows himself to be schemed against. 
He allows himself to be coerced onto the cross so that we can be forgiven for all the times that we have schemed against others and coerced others for our own gain. See, Jesus doesn't grasp for life. He gives his life up for us that we might have life. The Lord Jesus is the greatest gift that God ever gave us. And it is only if we accept Jesus and build our lives upon him and continue to look to the kindness of God in Jesus, only then can we stop this destructive pattern of grasping and scheming and manipulating and using others. Only then will we be content and at peace joyful in whatever situation we're in. And only then can we be like Jesus himself, those who give rather than grasp. Remember Leah. Remember her in the good moment when she looked to the Lord's kindness and looked to the gift of what he had gave her, uh, the Lord had given her. When we do the same, when we look to the Lord's kindness, look to his gift of life in Christ, then we can choose to rejoice, to be joyful and content, whatever the situation we are in. Kindness comes through, uh, peace, uh, rather, joy, rather, comes through the kindness of God. Discontentment comes through human scheming. We thought about some really big things just now, and I'm aware that there may be a number of things that you've heard and that have personally affected. Please do talk to someone. You're welcome to come and talk to me or to one of the other elders or um, just anyone you feel comfortable talking with. So please, if there is something you need to chat through, then, then make sure you do that or want to pray through with someone and make sure uh, you do that before you leave. But I'm going to pray now um, and then we'll sing. Leah said, this time I will praise the Lord. Heavenly Father, we pray that we would learn something of that attitude that Leah had, even for those few moments when she was able to set her heart upon your kindness, was able to accept your gift and therefore rejoice. We pray that we would not be those who scheme and grasp and use others around us to get the kind of life we want. But may we look to the Lord Jesus and the gift that he is and the life that he gives us and accept it. And with our eyes fixed upon him and your kindness to us in him, may we find contentment. May we find an ability not to grasp but to give not to serve ourselves, but to serve others. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.